I hope you enjoyed and found our time helpful yesterday morning. Uh, to be honest, I was just so glad to be here yesterday. Um, I thought it was a great morning. I was thankful for Andrew's teaching. I was thankful to be here with you and, and just share together and chat about some of these things um, together. Uh, and I hope it has whetted your appetite a little bit for Ephesians. Um, as you know, we're going to begin a study through Ephesians um, this morning. And Andrew is mainly, mainly dealing with, with kind of more of the application towards the end of the book for us. We're going to go from the beginning and, and we're going to dig into some good theology that will take us up to all that application, which we will get into um, in a number of weeks. But I'm going to call the series Holy and Blameless. Holy and Blameless. And hopefully that will become more and more clear as we go through. Ephesians, it's, it's a letter. Um, it was written by the Apostle Paul. You will be able to see that from the first verse. He wrote this letter when he was in prison. You'll be able to see that from the first verse in chapter 3. Most likely in house arrest in Rome. And the letter is addressed to those saints who are in Ephesus. But it is most likely that, that the letter circulated around different churches within um, the vicinity. And unlike other New Testament letters, um, there's no specific problem or issue that Paul addresses within one local congregation, which should again suggest to us that it was meant as a more general letter. Also, you may notice, um, indifferent to some of the other letters, there are no personal greetings. Now, Paul spent a considerable amount of time in Ephesus, more time than he spent in any other place. And so we would think if, if he was writing to that one particular church it's likely Paul would have greeted individuals or would be more personal interactions throughout. But as Andrew said to us yesterday, Ephesians really helps us to grasp God's vast, vast eternal plan for all creation. It takes us from eternity past to eternity future. And in that, it allows us to see who we are as individuals and who we are as the church. Ephesians shows us our Christian identity, and it shows us what life looks like when we are living out of that. And I guess as we live in a world of increasingly mistaken and um, confused identity, it is key that we have assurance and certainty of who we are as God's people. This morning we're going to look at the first 14 verses of chapter 1. So let's open our Bibles and let's look at that now and read God's Word together. And before we read, let's just pause for a moment's prayer and ask for God's help. Our Father, we thank you again for the blessing that it is to be together as your people, um, united in Christ. And as we come to your Word again, your written word, we pray that you will just show us again how glorious Christ is. And we pray as, as Paul, when he wrote this letter, was bursting with praise that we would leave this morning, bursting with praise for your great salvation. Father, we want to hear from you. We want to be changed by you. So please speak to us, we pray. Amen. So Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. 
to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So Paul begins there, verses 1 and 2, with a very, fairly standard greeting. But of course he's drawing his hearers' attention and focus um, straight away to Jesus Christ. In the original language, verses 3 to 14, it was one long sentence. And as I said, what we really have here is just an outburst of praise to God. Blessed be God who has. And what follows is just praise for how God has blessed his people. And Paul outlines various ways that God has blessed us. We bless, we praise God because he has blessed us. And there's a sense here of that, that Paul just cannot contain himself. He, he just has to get this all out. And I can imagine if Paul was reading this himself, he would perhaps raise his voice as he went through. He perhaps would begin speaking quicker and he would become more and more animated. You know when a child has, has something to tell you and they're just trying to get it out all at once and you want to say, no, just take your time, slow down. But you see, what they have to tell is just bursting from within them. And I trust as I prayed that as we consider how God has blessed us this morning that we too would have a sense of bursting with praise. Please keep your Bibles open and let's look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. 
Here we see that God's blessing comes to us through the perfect working of the Trinity. That is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Father has blessed us in Christ the Son with every spiritual blessing, that is, blessings from the Spirit. The blessings that that Christ has gained for us come to us by the Holy Spirit. And we are blessed in Christ, or other translations will say, because we are united to Christ. You see, Christ is not just the means uh, of us getting or receiving a blessing, but, but our, our blessing, our blessings are in Him. Our blessings are Christ Himself. If you scan down this passage that we just read, you'll notice this phrase, in Christ, or in Him, or in the Beloved. I counted 11 times in, in my Bible. The blessings come to us in Christ or because of our union with Christ. And for me, one of the most helpful ways to think about this or or to understand this is actually the marriage union. And Paul speaks about this in Ephesians 5 as well. We, we as as Christians, as God's people, we, we are in a marriage, as it were, with Christ. And of course, in a marriage, what is the other person's becomes yours. So, when I married Emma, I was delighted that I gained a MacBook computer and a Roland keyboard. The main thing Emma got from me was debt. That's a different story for a different time. But I want you to imagine this. Think about Kensington area in London. The Kensington area has one of the highest rates of homelessness and rough sleeping. And I want you to imagine that Prince William takes a walk down one of these streets. And he stops by a homeless lady who used to be a prostitute. She's now homeless. And she's very vulnerable. Scratches on her faces and there's, there's dirt in her hair and her to- clothes are torn. There's a few scraps of food around her. But the prince, he he kneels down and getting himself a bit dirty and he he takes her by the hand and he says, he says, come with me because I have chosen you to be my wife. You will be mine. And he says to her, all that I am I give to you and all that I have I share with you. And he takes her from the stench and the fumes of a back street and he leads her to Kensington Palace. And he says to her, all that you can see is mine. And all that is mine is yours. And then he brings maids to clean her and dress her and to spray her with perfume and cover her in diamonds. And he says to her, tonight we will dine, we will feast with the Queen. You see, this girl was never going to get there on her own. It was impossible. But by her union with the prince. We have been blessed as God's people in Christ because of our union with King Jesus. And it says, in the heavenly places. 
Paul says further on in Ephesians 2, we have been raised up with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly places. You see, Christ is not just the means by which we get or receive blessings. He himself is our blessings. And the heavenly places are what we might call the unseen world of spiritual reality, where spiritual forces are working. And Christ is seated, Christ reigns far above any other in these heavenly places. Ephesians 1.22, Christ is above all other powers or forces. And so we too, mysteriously, because of our union with him, we are seated with him in his heavenly place, even reigning with him. And so these benefits of salvation, they're not just something for the future, but actually something we are knowing and experiencing here and now. But at the same time, we're still living, battling sin, battling our flesh, fighting the powers and principalities, the evil forces of the heavenly places, Ephesians 6. And only when this is done will we know and experience the full extent of the blessings that are ours in Christ. And we'll come back to that union a little later. But I want to think about some of these blessings that are outlined to us. And I want to think about them under past, present, and future blessings. So firstly, past blessings. We see that in verses 4 and 5. We have been chosen for adoption as sons and daughters. Now here's a truth that, that, that is, is staggering. Okay, that, that we can't really get our heads around and, and fully explain. But God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless. Before anything was, John Stott puts it this way, before anything was, God put us and Christ together in his mind. Now, many of you will be able to, to look back on the day that you became a Christian or that you believed or you decided to follow Jesus or however you want to say it. And, you know, it's great to do that. It's really good to remember that. But don't be too short-sighted with that. Because the only reason you became a Christian, perhaps, on this day at this particular time is because God in eternity past chose you for himself. And we see that pattern through Scripture. If we think back as far as Abraham, where he was Abram then, a pagan, in Genesis 12, God chose him to bless him. Listen to Deuteronomy 7 of God's people. You're a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. So in other words, God's blessing has come to you, not because of anything you have done, but because God chose to bless you in eternity past. And as Paul goes on in Ephesians, even Ephesians 2, he makes this perfectly clear. We were dead in our sins. God made us alive together in Christ. And of course, as those who were dead, there was nothing we could have done. It's not like we we can somehow do enough 
And Philip was praying about this earlier. It's not that we can somehow do enough that will make God choose us for salvation. It's not that God sees us and thinks, oh, well, well, there's a good guy. He's a pretty good catch. I'll, I'll choose him. No. I wonder how your daily reading plans are going this year. We encourage Bible in a year at the beginning of the year. Well, if you're anything like me, um, there are gaps already. And it's only the 2nd of February. See, I, I can't impress God with my, with my Bible reading or with my, my good living or kind deeds or anything else. I can't do anything that would make him choose me. He chose me before the foundation of the world. I, I didn't exist. I hadn't done anything. It's amazing. God chose me because he loved me. Gladly and willingly. And God chose us to be holy and blameless. I guess there's two aspects to this. God, God sees us as holy and blameless now because of Jesus Christ, because of our union with him. But God's purpose is that we actually become holy and blameless through our lives until that final day we will be holy, blameless, pure and perfect. God chose us in love to be adopted as his sons and daughters. He chose us for an intimate and a privileged relationship. And as with the most privileges, there is a responsibility, and that is to bear the family name, to bear the family resemblance and likeness as holy and blameless sons and daughters of God. Past blessings, we have been chosen to be holy and blameless sons and daughters of God. Let's think about present blessings, verses 7 to 9. In him we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of our trespasses. Now, redemption is is normally thought of as, as being freed from imprisonment, the idea of the release of a slave by a payment. We have been released from the grip and the power of sin. We have been freed. We have been delivered. We have been saved from God's punishment. And of course, this has come at great cost. The cost of the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He took our sin upon himself. He took God's punishment on the cross. And we think back to that union while Christ shares with us. So all our sin we share with Christ. We give to him. And and his death becomes our death. His life becomes our life. His acceptance before the Father is our acceptance before the Father. His blessings as as God's Son become our blessings as as we are with Him in the heavenly places. See, because Christ has paid the price for our sin, that has redeemed us, we know God's forgiveness. We know God's acceptance. We, We have free access to His presence and we will never be turned away. For God to reject us, he would have to reject his Son, the Chosen One, Jesus Christ. God will never do that. 
And we know these present blessings according to the riches of his grace. These blessings are all of grace which God has lavished, poured on us. He has not held back. He has lavished grace upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. In grace, God has revealed to us his will, that is, his plan of salvation in Christ Jesus. And by God's grace and his word, we have the wisdom and insight to know how to live as his holy and blameless sons and daughters. And future blessings have been revealed to us as well. Let's look at verse 10. Future blessings. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. See, God's grand plan of salvation has a goal. And that is to unite up, or sorry, to unite all things, or to to sum up, we could say, is to sum up, it's to bring everything together, everything is moving towards this, everything together in and under Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. One commentator says, He says, the inhabitants of heaven and earth and the domain of heaven and earth will be one. So you see, we are currently living in in this time where, where we're seated mysteriously in the heavenly places with Christ, but yet we're still living on earth experiencing the consequences of sin. We're knowing this tension of evil powers at work in the world. And of course, Jesus is on the throne now. Jesus is reigning now. But not everyone acknowledges his reign. But at the right time, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And when that happens, all things will be brought together in Christ. All things will finally come under his rule and submission. And when that happens, then we are done with the consequences of sin. We we are done with the tension of of evil powers. Even creation is done with groaning. And God's chosen people will, will be done with longing and anticipating the future blessings of God. We will be experiencing the God's blessing in all its fullness. Heaven and earth will be one. Creation will be in harmony again. And again we see that Christ, he's not just the means of getting to that point, but Christ is the one in whom God chooses to sum all things in. You see, the end goal is not about us, it's about Christ. The focus of God's plan is not us, but Christ. All things united in Christ. And if we read on there, verses 11 to 14, it focuses on inheritance. I want you to look at this closely with me. In him, of course, again, that is Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, 
in him you also when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit until we acquire possession of it now the commentators men much more clever than I am who know Greek they explain that the use of the verb obtained is passive and so that means that we are not the ones obtaining but rather we are what is being obtained in other words we are the inheritance God's people are the inheritance and it may explain this in your Bible I know it doesn't mind there's an extra note from verse 14 so instead of reading until we acquire possession of it a better reading is until God redeems his possession and this again would fit well with Old Testament for example in Deuteronomy 4 we read the Lord has taken you out of Egypt the Lord has saved his people to be a people of his own inheritance or Deuteronomy 32 but the Lord's people are his inheritance the Psalms 2 speak of this Psalm 33 blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord the people in whom he has chosen as his heritage and too we see this in first Peter which is echoing Exodus 19 that you're a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation a people for his own possession by his grace God has chosen us his people as his eternal inheritance what a thought that is verse 13 when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised holy spirit who is the guarantee of this inheritance now how can we be sure that we have the holy spirit well it's quite simple have you believed in the truth of the gospel if you have you have received the holy spirit and so god says if you've believed you have my spirit and this is my seal upon you i have claimed you you are mine you are my treasure and because you have the holy spirit you can be sure that i will receive what is mine and as God receives us so we receive him I am his and he is mine it's in the end what we get from God is God himself future blessings more of God now we've been taken from eternity past to eternity future can you see why Paul is bursting with praise can you see that praise is an appropriate response to God I'm going to make some brief applications for us but before I do that I want you to notice a repeated phrase which you may have noticed and we haven't looked at yet first you look at verse 5 we've been predestined for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will or some translations say to his good pleasure to the praise of his glorious grace 
And then if you look down again at verses 7 to 9, we have redemption, we have forgiveness, according to the riches of his grace, according to his purpose or his good pleasure. And in verses 11 and 12, in him we have obtained an inheritance according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And again, verse 14, to the praise of his glory. See, God's eternal working of salvation through Jesus Christ by his Holy Spirit is fulfilling God's plan, God's purpose for God's pleasure and God's glory. See, not primarily about us, but about God. But we can take great assurance that God is working for his own glory. And that brings me to our first point of application. We can have assurance in salvation. We can have assurance in salvation. God chose us. He adopted us eternally for his own glory. Now, if God is working for his own glory, we can be sure that he will do that. Yeah? If God is working for his own glory, we can be sure that he will do that. I've had conversations before with, with folks, and, and they'll say, isn't that quite arrogant that you've such an assurance of heaven? Well, it's not arrogant because firstly, it's for God's glory, and secondly, it's according to the riches of his grace. Our salvation is not dependent upon us. Our confidence is not in what we have done, but what God has done in Christ by the Holy Spirit. We can have assurance in salvation. And assurance of salvation brings us rest. We can actually breathe a big sigh of relief. Do you ever feel guilty as a Christian? I know I do. Do you ever feel just worn out? I'm just never doing enough. Well, when, you know, when we know our salvation is dependent on God working for his glory, we can rest and we can trust him to do this. So actually, rather than arrogance, assurance of salvation should bring great humility as we realize the grace that has been lavished upon us. And another thing on assurance of salvation, assurance of salvation motivates us for telling others about God's salvation. Because God has other chosen sons and daughters for his glory. Surely we are dying to tell them. Okay? We can be sure that they will come to this knowledge if they are gods. We will surely be so keen to tell the truth so that they will hear the truth, the gospel of their salvation, and believe. We can have assurance in salvation. Secondly, we can have security in identity. Security 
in identity. We do not live trying to secure an identity for ourselves. We do not live trying to somehow pick the person we're going to be. We are not trying to work out who we are and what we should be. God has given us identity in Christ. In love, God has chosen us as his children. In Christ, we are approved, we are accepted, we are treasured, we forever belong to God. How often we fret and we waste time trying to work out our identity when God has graciously secured who we are from before the foundation of the world. And when we know who we are in Christ, we will begin to live as we are, holy and blameless. Which really brings us to our third point. We have purpose for living now. We have purpose for living now. God's purpose and goal becomes our purpose and goal. So we strive to live now as we will then when all things are united in Christ and under his submission. And I think from from this text it, it means two things. Firstly, it means we strive for unity, for that unity in Christ. We strive for unity with each other in the local church right here. We strive for unity in relationships in the home. We do not accept strained relationships, but we do all we can to forgive, to reconcile, to live in love and harmony. And we're going to think much, much more about this as Paul addresses these specific issues head on. And as a church, we will be committed to getting to know, to embracing, to loving those around us from different backgrounds, from different cultures, from different races, from different political views, that they might hear the word of truth and belief. And as a local church, we, we might even begin to, to be seen as more diverse in our Christian unity. We might begin to be seen more of what we will be like when all things are united in Christ. We strive for unity. We strive to bring all things then under submission and under the authority of Jesus Christ. We bring every temptation. We bring every conversation. We bring every difficult situation, every difficult person at work. We bring every hobby and interest under the authority of Jesus Christ. There's not one area of life that does not come under the authority of Jesus Christ. See, the church, God's people, are actually key to God's plan. Dare I say it, the health of the local church is key to the growth of the local church. See, as we strive to live now, as we will then, we trust that others around us will actually see how good it is to live in and under the authority of Jesus Christ, that they too may turn and live to glorify God. Finally, and very briefly, we live with great hope for the future. We live with great hope for the future. See, all of now is moving towards then. Perfect harmony will be restored in him. And so every tiring day of work, every monotonous, 
household task. Every physical ache and pain. Every mental battle. Every day you push through grief. Every strained relationship. Every disappointment. Every regret. Every anxious thought. Every fear. Even all of this has purpose as we live in Christ. Moving towards the day when all things will be united in him, perfect harmony will be restored and we will be done with all of these. We will be his and he will be ours and to him be glory. Let us pray. Our Father, we're amazed, we're astounded, we cannot put into words, we cannot fully comprehend the vastness of your eternal plan of salvation to choose a people for your own inheritance. How privileged we are. Father, we simply ask that you would help us to grasp this and that these truths might change us as we meet around your table just now may we have greater realisation of all the blessings that are ours in Christ we pray in his name Amen